You are listening to She Rises, a podcast dedicated to women who are ready to stop settling and start living their lives by design. If you're ready to talk about the stuff that weighs you down and get practical advice on everything from your health, body image, spirituality, relationships, and personal growth, then you're in the right place. Hello, I'm Giovanna Capoza, your host, master coach, spiritual teacher, and mind-body expert, and I'm on a mission to unsettle women all over the world. Are you ready to rise? Hello, and welcome back to another episode of She Rises. I'm your host, Giovanna Capoza, and I'm here with special guest, Alexia Vernon, and we're going to help you step into your moxie. What is moxie, you ask? Well, it's become synonymous with vigor, verve, pep, courage, nerve, aggressiveness, skill, know-how. And in her upcoming new book, Step Into Your Moxie, Amplify Your Voice, Visibility, and Influence in the World, Alexia, who is a speaking and leadership coach, is presenting a soul-stirring call to action for women to speak up for themselves, their ideas, and the issues that matter most to them. Is this you? If it is, you're definitely going to want to listen to this show and you're going to want to take some notes. Alexia is wise and witty. She's got just the right amount of woo, which by the way, when I read that description, I thought we're going to be besties right off the top. And I so enjoyed this conversation. It was fast and furious, but so many great takeaways here. Enjoy the show. And don't forget, after the show, come on over to SheRisesPodcast.com. You can leave questions, comments, and notes in our show notes. Enjoy. Hey, Alexia. Welcome to She Rises. I'm so excited to have you on today. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited because where you speak to the world and where your uh, zone of genius in terms of helping people transform is very similar to mine. We talked about this just before we started recording around this visibility and voice and, um, you know, my other V is vulnerability, but you talk about influence. And I think it's so uh, poignant, especially this day and age, um, that women do find their voice and they do get comfortable with visibility. And I would love if you would start us off with a little bit of your personal story around this and you know how this passion of yours came to be. I am one of the least likely people to <laughs> be be out in the world teaching women how to be able to step into their voice and use it in a more powerful way whether that's on stage or in interpersonal conversations or negotiations because Much of my life I experienced an on-again, off-again relationship with my own voice, meaning that there would be many times in my life where I felt like I was tap dancing on eggshells, striving to be liked and give the right answers, not be called out for failing to be enough of whomever it was I conjectured other people wanted me to be. But then writing Shotgun was also this deep inner knowing that I was supposed to do big things in the world, say big things in the world. And despite knowing that, because I was constantly flip-flopping back and forth, I really struggled. There were times like when I was in third or fourth grade where I would give a speech and my voice would quaver and classmates would laugh at me. And then as a result of that, I would archive this story that When I did step into these moments of visibility, my voice would again quaver. I wouldn't make the impact that I wanted. And that carried with me even into my career as a women's communication and leadership coach. And it wasn't until I did a combination of the deep inner work and really shifted away from 
worrying about, am I smart enough? Am I funny enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I experienced enough to what's the message I know I was put here on this earth to share? And how do I focus 100% on connecting with the people who need to hear it, that things started to get better? What's one of the ways that in your adult life that three or or third grade quivering voice showed up in your adult world? Like, how did you, I love that you said you archived that story and it sort of kept repeating, but what is one of the ways in your, even in your professional or personal life that you saw that sort of archived story keep showing up like time and again? Oh, great question. I didn't ever consciously raise my hand and say, I want to be a public speaker. I wound up winning the Miss Junior America competition at 19. And that was when my public public speaking career began. And I would oftentimes before I would need to get in front of an audience, feel my heart rate beating so quickly. I was sure you could hear it several zip codes away. And I would go into the, I just have to survive this. Then if I can somehow figure out how to get through, life will be better. And that would happen a lot until I developed rituals to learn how to shift what I was labeling as fear into sensation and realize that that feeling of a colony of butterflies that had taken residency in my thoracic cavity, that wasn't a problem. That was actually me being in the game. Feeling all those feels was me stepping into my greatness. And that really started to shift things when I learned how to reclaim the role of protagonist in the story I was taking, be with that discomfort, use meditation and use powerful visualizations to enjoy that experience and actually be grateful for it. I love how you described it as a colony of butterflies. I was thinking, I was like, wow, when's the last time I felt that colony of butterflies? It wasn't that long ago. Um, and and it's interesting because you know we 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 talk about this as coaches and and you know I've mentally tried to talk myself through okay you know there's nervousness happening and we label it right like we label the colony of butterflies literally as something that's going to kill us like it just feels so intense and potent when we have to stand up and you know I wouldn't even say stand up and speak in front of an audience which of course you know, it's like, what did they say? It's like the second biggest fear, like right up there with death, right? <laughs> Is having to public speak for a lot of people. Um, Internationally, even in countries that have a, a huge terrorist problem, public speaking will often rank higher, which is absolutely. fascinating to me. Well, because yes. when you step up and you public speak, you're seen as a leader. And frankly, it, historically in our world, we kill leaders, right? So it's terrifying. <laughs> I, get, I get that it's up there with death. But even in a moment where... You have to speak up for yourself, whether it's with your family, whether it's at your corporate career, whether it's to negotiate a deal, and that colony of butterflies is there. Could you walk us through a little bit? You know, of course, I know there's a long process here, but could you talk us through a little bit of how you went from experiencing that as like that terror and then acknowledging the sensation of it? Like, could you walk us through how to basically? you know, calm that or work with that? Absolutely. A huge piece of it is what happens before you ever get into that environment for visibility. And I appreciate that you're describing visibility not only as being on stage or being interviewed, but it also can be that daring conversation we need to have with one of our clients or with a loved one or even with a child. And for a lot of us, that comes because we haven't prepared adequately. And I like to distinguish 
there's different levels of preparation. Some will create that sensation more intensely than others. Meaning if we simply seek to win it, wing it, and that will often happen for those of us who say, I'm going to be present. I'm not going to be in my head. I'm going to be in my body. But if we literally don't prepare at all, usually then, of course, we're not set up to succeed. But the opposite side of the spectrum is when we try to plan everything that we're going to say. And as a result, then we wind up ruminating. We don't actually feel prepared because we've spun it in our heads so many times that it actually creates more anxiety versus strategically role-playing aloud the key points of what it is that we want to say by reverse engineering from what is that ideal outcome I want from this conversation, from this presentation, from this retreat that I'm leading or anything else. And then we identify the three to five most important things that must come out of us in order to move our audience, whether it's an audience of one or an audience of 100 or 1000 to take action. And the significance of role playing out loud is that we not only weed out vocalized thinking, hone our core message, develop confidence in that message, but we also create the muscle memory of what the rest of our body is doing when we speak so that it feels considerably less awkward when we get in front of the person or the people we're communicating with. Then when we're in the moment, the key is on a moment to moment basis, whenever we find ourselves getting stuck in the, am I doing enough? What are they thinking of me? Making a conscious choice, a mindful choice to reorient toward how can I connect more with that person or with those people? Because the reality is that if we are 100% focused on serving that person or people with our message, even if we're asking something of them, there's no room for ego. There's no room for that self-doubt to emerge. I love that you said that. I, I say that so many times to my clients, but also even just to myself is that when we're making it about us, like our nervousness, you know, how we feel, how we're going to be perceived, you know, what they're going to think about us, like all of that self-centered talk, which is natural and normal almost. But when we stay there, that's when we sort of perpetuate that nervousness and that, you know, just shifting back to other right? What's, what is going to serve them? How could I connect with them more? Takes us out of that like whirlwind of, of basically spinning around in this, you know, nervousness. So I love that you said that. I just recently, as you were uh, talking, I had this memory several months ago, I entered a speaking competition and I've been speaking on stages since I was like 21. So a long time. Um, and I've never had a problem go up there. I've, I've spoken in front of 500 people. You know, I used to perform when I worked on cruise ships and, you know, never had a problem, but I had to do this speaking competition and there was this five minute time limit. So mm -hmm. it had to be this like super rehearsed speech um, because it was five minutes. And if you went like a millisecond over, I think it was, they, they gave you like a grace of a minute, but if you went like a nanosecond <laughs> over six minutes, you know, you were disqualified. Right. So it was so nerve wracking. And I guess my saving grace was the amount of preparation that I did. And even mm -hmm. though when I went up there, I was still nervous because I was like, you can't give an Italian a five minute time limit to speak. Like it's just, <laughs> I'm Greek. I it, get it. I, right. It's not natural. Um, so, but when I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't nervous. Like I thought I would be, 
And part of that was because I was so well prepared. Now I went up there and I got sequencing wrong and I said, like, you know, I forgot certain things to say, but I knew the gist of the message and I knew the journey because it was so practiced that I was able to pull it off and I got third place, which was not bad, but Congrats. You know, yeah, but I was thinking of that as you were talking because I also observed people that were just winging it. And you could tell either they said to me they're going to wing it or they, you know, you could tell that they were winging it. And I've had that experience also where I am unprepared and my nerves at the moment are just insane. Like the voices going on in your head are crazy. So, yeah, I just wanted to share that because it really that's what I was coming up for me as you as you were talking. So I wonder if you can talk to us a little bit about what comes into play, in particular for women, around this visibility and influence. Like, what are some of the other things that you've noticed you really have to, you know, coach women around or help them get around when it comes to standing up, really, to be a leader, right? One of the biggest things is this idea that visibility is an opportunity. And maybe once I get 10,000 people on my email list, or once I have that funnel set up, or once my kids are a certain age, then I will take advantage of this opportunity to use speaking to connect with my audience or grow my business, elevate my thought leadership, whatever it is. And there's a couple of fallacies from my perspective, which this is, that have to be adjusted. And one of them is this idea that it's an opportunity. I actually see it as a responsibility. If we know that our ideas, that our work can facilitate positive impact in someone's life, career, business, health, spirituality, relationships, whatever it is. And once we make that pivot, we recognize we've got to get out of our own way and stop making excuses to be capitalizing on our potential and leave the legacy that we were put here to make. And I find that that shift, while it can sound like it's simply about mindset, is profound because oftentimes we stop self-sabotaging and creating our own impediments to being able to speak. And the second is this idea that we have to be at a certain place before we can go after those visibility opportunities, whether we have a traditional job or whether it's within our business or anything else, because visibility is usually what helps us to grow whatever it is that we're seeking to grow. And particularly as there's so much going on online, and clearly I have online components of my business, so it's not to disparage online, but if our work is about cultivating human potential and making impact in any way, when people are in the room with us, whether we're giving a traditional speech or maybe we are on a panel or perhaps we're leading a transformational event, they're going to connect with us more than in any other medium. And you don't have to have a huge platform or audience to be able to do that. In fact, it's what's going to help you be able to find those proselytizers for your message much more quickly. Mm. One of the questions that I get asked a lot and that I've asked you know, myself a lot is in this noisy world where there mm. is so much noise, especially with this online you know, media and presence that seems everybody and their mother has something to say. With all the noise out there, how do you start to cultivate your own voice in that, your own message? 
I like to look at what everybody else is saying and not be scared of that. And what I mean by that is it's easy to say, oh, there are these other 10 thought leaders in my space who are all talking about public speaking, let's say, or if you are a health coach, all of these other folks who are talking about giving up gluten or sugar or dairy or whatever it is and say, my space is too crowded. Rather, I believe that when there are a lot of people who are saying something that's similar, it's a sign that the world needs our message because there's lots of other folks who are speaking to the same issues. The key is being able to develop our own nuanced perspective so that we are contributing rather than parroting back what has already been said. Questions like, what's at the source of where I see a lot of people struggling? Because you may find that lots of folks who are adjacent to you are talking about the symptoms. And if we're able to go to the source, so for example, for me, there are a lot of people talking about how to get over the discomfort of public speaking. And the focus is usually about getting more face time. One of the things I've been really clear about is I started speaking when I was 19 years old and I easily had my 10,000 hours in front of an audience as Malcolm Gladwell would say you need to achieve expert status within a decade. And yet I still still felt wrecked <laughs> going into a lot of presentations because I hadn't focused on shifting my relationship to what I was feeling. So that's, that's one piece. What's at the source of what it is that you're talking about? A second question to muse on is, what actually irks me about my industry? Are there things that are going on that you don't like? And it's not about calling out other people. Rather, it's helping you hone in on your point of view. And the other thing I would say about point of view is when we give ourselves permission to use vocabulary, to ask questions, to tell stories, to interject humor in a way that is authentically us, then what happens is even if other people are talking about the same things, the audiences who need us, our secret sauce will gravitate toward us, even if they're following other people who have a similar message, because we're going to show up in a radically different and simultaneously deeply authentic way. How do you um, cope with someone who is, I, you know, I love all these points that you just made. I'm literally going to come back, listen, and make notes on all those things because they were amazing. And for those of you that are listening and not driving, please make notes. Um, that, amazing. The three amazing <laughs> points. And, you know, I'm, I just, I think of the person who has, you know, it's funny, I just got off the phone with uh, someone who's potentially going to become a client. And one of the biggest things we were working on with her is people-pleasing. Mm -hmm. And and that comes from this deep, deep fear of not being approved of and not being loved. And so I hear the three points that you made and it's like, yeah, cool. Check, check, check. That's awesome. We can do that. And then there's still that, you know, what did you call it? That, you know, colony of butterflies that's like mm -hmm. sitting in our chest when, you know, we, we see that, like, I remember the first time I did a Facebook live and it was like three, two, one. I was like, oh my God, you know, like that it was, it was that, that kind of level of discomfort and fear. What about this, this people pleasing, seeking approval? Like I'm going to call it a noose because it really mm -hmm. is a noose around many of our voices. Um, and I'm going to include myself in that as well, because I know that there are some rampages that I can go on <laughs> that I probably <laughs> hold back. Right. Because I, it's like, oh my God, I don't want to piss people off. Right. So, 
how do you deal with that with your clients in particular? I often will refer back to my own story, which was that I had probably a six or seven year stint where most audiences I spoke to really liked me because I was incredibly boring. <laughs> I didn't say anything that you could disagree with. It was easy to nod your head. And I also didn't have raving fans who at the end of presentation said, I want to work with you because I wasn't connecting deeply. And that's, the paradigm shift we all have the opportunity to make that if we want to be liked, we can be. And we probably also are not moving people to have profound shifts in their own life. Because if we're not a little disruptive, that typically cannot happen. And I, and what I would say to most of my clients, would you rather be liked or would you prefer to have impact? and be respected. And a piece of that means there are people who are not going to be ready for our message or who might be threatened by our message and who might tear us down. One of my clients, this happened this week, put up her speaker reel that we had worked on in our mastermind. And I've experienced this for myself, but it was also saddening to watch it happen for one of your clients who you care so deeply about somebody else who was a big wig came at her with a lot of negativity but it was a particular kind of negativity that was all you could see was all about this person not being able to hold space for her own voice because it was disruptive it was different it was threatening to him and while those moments can be painful when we are in our truth, those are the moments where the people who really need us will raise their hands, will want to work with us and say, thank you, I've been waiting. I'm sure you've experienced that in the moments where you have dared to be a little bit more provocative, whether that's a Facebook Live or in a newsletter or even in a podcast. Those are always the moments where people in our communities will show up more powerfully and say thank you. And knowing that, means that I can have compassion. I can bless and release those people that I'm not a fit for. And I'm also very cognizant that if I am, or if my clients are saying something that could rifle some feathers, that we do it from a place of non-judgment for those who don't agree, which can be really tricky, but we approach it from the standpoint of compassionate confidence. In other words, I have compassion, even if you don't see things this way, but I'm unapologetic about speaking my truth here. Yeah, and I just think in the, we, we talked about earlier um, around this, this primal fear that's really in us. I think it's a survival mechanism to not want to stand out and not want to take um, the leadership role, right? Because it, historically, we've killed leaders, right? And mm -hmm. we are fortunate, you know, in our Western society, because in so many places in the world, they are still killing people that stand up and talk and speak out. And so we are fortunate that we can have a voice and that we can step out. And for the most part, it, it is safe. And so it's almost like talking, it's almost like remembering that and talking yourself out of that primal fear and really seeing what you just said, which is if you do step forward in this bravery, if you do step out on this ledge, that the people that are your people will meet you there. Yes. Yeah. And I want to acknowledge that it is not equally safe in all regions of the world mm -hmm. to speak your truth. And it is most definitely a Western privilege 
to know that when we speak, what's the worst that might happen? For most of us, someone might drop off our list. Someone might say something snarky on social media. And it's all survivable. If you are listening and you're in a region where there's other consequences, I always recommend asking what could happen and and am I okay with that fallout? For a lot of folks in the United States or Canada or in the Western world, one of the fallouts is often family members, if we speak our truth and it in some way implicates them in some wrongdoing, might take a season. It could be a very long season where they need separation from us. And I always recommend before we bring something, let's say, into a speech or into an interview, that ideally we've had a conversation with other people that we might be speaking with so that nobody ever feels thrown under the bus in order for us to ascend in our thought leadership. And at the same time, we recognize why are we making the choices to speak about what we're speaking about. And if it feels like it's in alignment with our values and we would be out of integrity if we were playing safe and small and going back to tap dancing on eggshells, that we rise through that discomfort so that we can rise in our leadership. Yeah, I love that. It's really about responsible communication, you know, and it's, you know, just because you have a soapbox doesn't mean that you can say anything you want to say. Um, You know, we've just seen that example. I mean, we've seen it all over the place in the media, but just more recently with, um, you know, the Megyn Kelly show, um, Mm. you know, you have a responsibility when you are a thought leader, when you are someone who is in a leadership role, you have a responsibility to speak, um, in a way that doesn't incite people and in a way that it is is equitable. So yeah, I love that you just brought that up because there is a responsibility in your communication. And again, just because you have a platform doesn't mean you can say whatever you want. I mean, of course you can, but then (laughs) there's there's consequences there too, right? Yeah. I love asking the question, how might what I'm saying here start a chain reaction of events? And how do I show up in a way and use communication in a way that's likely to jumpstart a chain reaction of things that I want to see happen. Yeah, beautiful. Um, we are at time. I can't believe it. Like I literally <laughs> I literally just pressed uh, record. This is amazing. Um, Alexia, I want to thank you for the work you're doing. I want to thank you for being yourself in the world and not only bringing your voice, but encouraging other women to rise up in their visibility and their thought leadership. I think the work you're doing is pivotal, especially at this time. And I so, so appreciate you being on the show. And thank you for giving me an opportunity for me to share more about my work and the messages in my book, Step Into Your Moxie. Love that. For those of you listening uh, that you were driving, go back, listen to the show, take some notes, and we will have a link to Alexia's site as well as her book that's out. And we will see you next time on She Rises. Thank you so much for tuning in and keep rising everyone for books and resources related to today's episode make sure you head over to sherisespodcast.com and i'll see you there if you've enjoyed today's episode make sure you tune back in next week when i dive into more juicy topics to help make your life the best it can be and hey if you've enjoyed listening to the show and you'll love it head on over to itunes and leave me a rate and review and subscribe there to the show 